Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 39 and 3 to 56. And that's on page 1026 of the Church Bibles. That's Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Steph, and good morning, everyone. Well done for making it through the snow and the slush to be here. I guess there might be a few more who stayed at home to watch online. Uh, if you are, then I welcome to you as well. For all of us, uh, if you can, keep your Bibles open at that reading in the church Bible. That's page 1026. Let me pray as we look at God's word together. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your help this morning. As we look at this famous moment in history, that you would give us confidence in your promises, not just to Mary, but to us. And as we have confidence, help us to be a people who live for you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, our topic is one that I think every Christian will struggle with at some point. Although when we do struggle with it, I think we often find it very hard to talk about. And the topic is doubt. Christians can doubt for all kinds of reasons. Maybe it's our personality. Perhaps we're more prone to anxiety or introspection. Maybe it's our circumstances. We read in the Bible that God is powerful and loving, and yet we look at 
the life that we're living at the moment, and we just can't make sense of how God would allow us to go through what he is sending our way. Perhaps it's the claims the Bible makes about God and the world. They just feel too big, too impossible to believe. Perhaps as we look around the world today, we just can't see any evidence that God is at work. Evidence that we can discern and and put our faith in. Doubt can come to us for all kinds of reasons. And when we do experience a season of doubt, it can be a very lonely experience. Perhaps we come on a Sunday morning, perhaps at Christmas time, and the room is full of happy, joyful, confident Christians. We're singing the carols. We're rejoicing in the birth of our Savior. But as we think about our own hearts, there's a gnawing uneasiness. And we feel like perhaps we're the only ones in the room feeling that way. Well, if we do ever feel like that, let me reassure you, we're not alone. And I say that because as we start this new series in Luke's gospel, looking at his account of the birth of Jesus, at this most crucial moment in salvation history, we're going to see some key people struggling with doubt, struggling to believe. And indeed, that's why Luke has written his gospel. If you have a Bible handy, just, do just flick back one page to the start of Luke chapter 1 and verse 3, where Luke tells us why he's written his gospel. Luke chapter 1, verse 3. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you might know the certainty of the things you've been taught. We don't know much about Theophilus, but it seems that he was someone who was lacking certainty. Luke isn't writing to criticize him or to have a go at him, but to help him, to show him and us today how it is possible to be confident in the things we've been told about Jesus. This morning, the camera zooms in on Mary. We pick up the story right after she has received some extraordinary news from the angel. She's going to have a baby. That in itself is remarkable news. The birth of any child is always miraculous. But this will be no ordinary baby. This baby will be the son of the Most High. He will sit on the throne forever. Oh, and Mary's also a virgin. And so it's easy to miss just how shocking this news would have been for Mary. Just how unbelievable. And so this morning, as we look at her response, we're going to see two things that I think will help us as we grapple with doubt and faith. The first is this. God's promises are trustworthy. We pick it up, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. This journey was about 100 miles. Mary is not running away because she's embarrassed about the news that she's going to have a baby even though she's not married. 
No, she's rushing off to carry out an investigation. And I say this because when the, Mary, when the, when the angel appeared to Mary just before our reading, yes, the angel told her about one extraordinary baby that she would have, but the angel also mentioned a second extraordinary baby. Verse 36, just before our reading, the angel says to Mary, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. Here is another hard-to-believe promise. Biologically, from a human point of view, there's no way that old and barren Elizabeth could be pregnant. But the angel continues, and she who, has, who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So the angel talks about two miraculous babies. One that Mary will have, who will sit on the throne forever, but also a baby that Elizabeth will have, and that baby is six months into its pregnancy. In other words, that baby can be checked out. And that's why Mary rushes off to see Elizabeth. If the angels write about Elizabeth's baby, as hard as it is to believe, then there's good reason to believe the angels also write about Mary's baby. And of course, the angel is right. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. It didn't have to be this way. Elizabeth could have been 25. The baby that she's carrying could have been the third baby in a series of happy and healthy pregnancies that Elizabeth has had. A welcome but not surprising arrival. But God has so ordered these events to underline his miraculous control and to help reassure Mary that God's promises are, trust, are trustworthy. And I think this also explains why Elizabeth's baby leaps in the womb. Clearly, I've never been pregnant. Uh, I have no idea how it feels to carry a baby. But it does seem that there's something about this moment when Mary arrives and the baby in Elizabeth's womb starts jumping around that's different from a, a normal pregnancy experience of babies moving around in their womb. Elizabeth notices it. In fact, we're told twice that the baby is leaping around at that point when Mary arrives. Why? Well, without the context, it would just seem a bit strange. But with the context in mind, it makes perfect sense. So again, with your Bibles in hand, just flick back over the page to verse 15. Because there are two babies in the story, but also there's two angelic appearances. And earlier on in Luke 1, Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, had also encountered an angel. And in verse 15, he's told that the baby Elizabeth would bear, that baby, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. What an extraordinary promise. 
And what Luke is doing here is showing us that that promise from verse 15 of a spirit-filled baby in the womb has come about when Mary comes to see Elizabeth. Why else would this baby be leaping up and down? You see, even from the womb, this baby who we know is John the Baptist has already begun his ministry of pointing people to Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And so what we're seeing here in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus, woven through the storylines, all kinds of examples of how God makes hard-to-believe promises, and then he's showing us that they are trustworthy. People have said to me before, Pete, I, I wish I had your faith. Anyone ever said that to you? I think behind the statement is a view that faith is a, a feeling, some religious experience, and if we don't have the feeling, then we don't have the faith. But that is not how Luke describes Christian faith. Look at how Elizabeth concludes this whole section for us. Verse 45. This is the key verse. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. It's a brilliant description of biblical faith. Faith is believing God's promises. And we're not asked to believe blindly without evidence. That's Mary's experience. The angel gives her a huge promise and then supplies her with reasons why that promise is trustworthy, why she can stake her life on it. And indeed, across the whole Bible, not just Luke's gospel, we see again and again and again God making promises that are hard to believe and then him keeping those promises, demonstrating to us that God's promises are trustworthy. Imagine you arrange to have coffee with someone tomorrow morning. How certain are you that they will be there at 10 o'clock at Costa down in Broomhill as agreed? Well, let's just ignore the snow for a moment. Let's, uh, let's assume it's not snowy. Um, how confident are you? Well, if you've just met them this morning and you have no idea who they are or their background or how they keep their word or, or not, then you might be a bit nervous about what you'll find tomorrow morning when you get to Costa Coffee in Boom Hill, whether they'll be there or not. You just don't really know. But imagine that the coffee you've arranged tomorrow morning is with your best friend. And you've been meeting every Monday morning at 10 o'clock for 10 years. And every Monday morning, whether it's snowing or not, your friend is always there, or at least they contact you if they're going to be late. And after 10 years of week in, week out, always being there, keeping their promise. You're going to be certain about tomorrow morning in a different kind of way, aren't you? Compared to the person you've just met this morning. And this is why God's promises are trustworthy. Because God is not a stranger who gives us promises out of the blue and asks us to believe him. God is a God who's made numerous promises again and again through the scriptures and has shown us how he's kept them again and again. And on that basis, Luke would invite us to build our faith 
in God. It would be incredible, wouldn't it, if an angel were to appear this morning. Can you imagine it? It would be, it would be awesome. There's no doubt about that. I reckon we'd all be on our knees in fear, probably. But we might think it would be really helpful if an angel appeared and just underlined that God promises are trustworthy. Yeah, if, it, if an angel could just talk us through a couple of key gospel promises and says, yep, they are absolutely true, we might think that would actually really help me to believe. And it might. But actually, an angel telling you something's true is not enough. And I say that because of what happened to dear Zechariah. We're going to pick up what happened to Zechariah next week. Do come back. But in the first half of Luke 1, Zechariah meets an angel. And he is a righteous man, we're told. He's a, he's a, a man who believes God's word. And yet even Zechariah, when he hears a promise about his wife Elizabeth having a baby, he doesn't believe the angel. You can go check out what happens um, after this morning, verse 20. And as a result, he is struck dumb. He doesn't speak for nine months. So let's not assume that seeing and hearing an angel would be enough for us. It wasn't for Zechariah. No, the absolute confidence we need is to come back to the pages of Scripture and to see that God always keeps his promises. For us today, we don't have the same opportunity Mary had to go and check out a miraculous birth. God hasn't said to us, there's an old woman in Birmingham who's going to have a baby, and we can't just jump in the car and drive down to Birmingham to check out if that's true or not. We don't have that particular promise to us today. But what we do have is an orderly account written by Luke based on the testimony of eyewitnesses who were there, who did live through the experience of hearing a promise and going checking out the evidence for it being kept, and who have declared God is faithful. And so whether we're new to Christianity or we've been a Christian for many years, I think Mary shows us how to respond when we doubt, when we are grappling with just how big a promise God has made to us is. Rather than sitting around wondering, she took steps to investigate the evidence she had. And for us over this Christmas season, why not aim to read through Luke's gospel afresh and to see why we can be confident in how God has kept his promises and will keep them for us. God's promises are trustworthy. But there is another way that Mary's reaction helps us with doubt. And that takes us to our second point this morning. God's promises bring true blessing. If you're the kind of person who listens to the radio, then you'll probably know that it's that time of year when the radio waves are just packed full of Christmas music blaring out 24-7. To be honest, I've probably had enough of it this year. Um, But here is one Christmas song that we don't want to miss. Mary, her confidence in God's promises, freshly strengthened by her conversation with Elizabeth, bursts into a song 
that is one of the most famous songs, not just in the Bible, but in the course of human history. Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why this outpouring of joy? Well, verse 48, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Mary is just a normal girl from a small, unremarkable town. But look at the end of verse 48. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. When Kate married Will, she was elevated from a relatively unknown family to become part of the royal family. And when Kate gave birth to George, she became the mother of the baby who will probably one day sit on the throne of England. And so in many ways, she is rightly honored. But the honor that Kate receives is nothing compared to the honor that Mary receives because the baby that Kate bore is nothing compared to Mary's. And what, what, what Mary is able to see here in this moment is truly remarkable. Humanly speaking, she's about to go home and face the reaction to the news that she's pregnant. How many of her friends and family are going to believe her when she says, no, really, an angel did appear to me, and no, really, I am still a virgin? I suspect there'll be many eyes that will roll at that point. And yet her song demonstrates a remarkable ability to step back and to see the bigger picture. To see that God's promises bring true blessing. Of course, Mary is not the hero of the story. God is. Notice in verse 47, Mary knows she needs a savior just as much as anyone else does. Now, the wonder here is that God would make such a stunning promise to someone like her. But what about us uh, here this morning? Uh, hearing Mary sing can feel a bit like going onto social media and seeing all our friends posting lots of happy, smiley pictures of them having fun with the hashtag blessed. Or perhaps it's Christmas Day and the presents are being brought out and everyone else in the room seems to be getting amazing presents. This is the best Christmas ever. And so far, we've just got a pair of socks. But God's blessing is not just for Mary. The song continues. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. You see, suddenly this has just got bigger, much bigger. God's mercy is not just for Mary, but for all those who believe in him and fear him, not just in her time and space, but across all generations. The way God has treated Mary in her life is just one particular example of how God always works in the course of human history. How does he work? In verse 51, the proud are scattered. In verse 52, the powerful are brought low, but the humble are lifted. 
In verse 53, the hungry are filled, but the rich go away empty. It is striking, isn't it? Our world chases after blessing, doesn't it? We want to live, live the blessed life. We teach our children to aim for the stars. We work hard to carve out a career for ourselves, to build a reputation. But God scatters the proud. So many in our culture aspire to hold positions of power and authority in business, in the office, within our families, in our friendship groups. But God brings down the powerful. And then there's money. Sam Bankman-Fried has been in the news this week. I wonder if you've seen his story. He made a vast fortune out of cryptocurrencies. I have no idea what they are, but he made a lot of money out of them. At one point this year, he was worth $26 billion. But in the space of about a week, his company crashed, and he revealed last week that he has nothing left. It is all gone. It's an extreme example, but hardwired into God's world is a pattern that will happen again and again in our lifetime now and ultimately when Christ returns. Those who put their hope in riches will go away empty and the hungry will be filled. Pride, power, pounds, the kinds of things our world chases after to be blessed. But in the end, they can offer us no ultimate blessing. And that's why Mary's song is so full of joy. Because there is another source of blessing that will never be undone. It will never let us down. Not in pride or in power or in pounds, but the promises of God. Look at how she finishes her song, verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Behind the events of our worlds, there is a divine hand at work. And God is working according to his promises to bring ultimate blessing to those who fear him and put their trust in him and working to oppose those who don't. God's promises bring true blessing. Now we need to get our expectations right about timings. Think of Mary. The baby in her womb will grow up to be a man who people hate. He's going to be accused of lying, of being demon-possessed, of being a blasphemer. The Jews are going to gang up against him, and they're going to get him on trial. They're going to mock him. He'll be beaten. He'll be crucified. And in great shame, he will die on a Roman cross. 
And for the next 33 years, Mary is going to have to watch her son go through all of those things. And not many people will call her blessed as she watches her son die on the cross. But one day they will. When he's raised and exalted and sits on the eternal throne forever. In the end, God's promises bring true blessing. And so I think Mary's song speaks into a different kind of doubt we might have. A doubt which wonders if God's promises are worth believing. And so on one hand, perhaps for some of us here today, maybe our careers are going well at the moment. Perhaps our reputation is growing in our workplace. Perhaps also our bank account is too. We have plenty of food to eat. And so we just begin to doubt if we really need God's promises. For others, it can be the opposite experience. Perhaps the experience of Habakkuk that we've been thinking about these last few weeks. Living in a hard place, baffling circumstances, cry out to God, where are you? And we see no answer in the present. We pray and we pray and the blessings of God feels like a hollow promise. And we just wonder, is it worth believing them? Either way, Mary's song helps us to step back and see the bigger picture of what God is doing in history. It may well only be when Christ returns in glory that we see the fullness of the pattern she lays out for us. The proud, the powerful, the wealthy brought low and the humble and the hungry lifted up and filled. As we respond to Mary's song this morning, I think it's very fitting that we're going to share the Lord's Supper together in just a moment. Because I think in many ways, Mary's song prepares us and points us forward to the Lord Jesus and his death on the cross. As we come to share this meal together this morning, in one sense, this meal humbles us, doesn't it? Because this meal reminds us that each of us have sinned that we are stained with a stain that we cannot wash away on our own. It is only through the blood of Jesus that we can be washed clean. And so we come humbled to God's table. But even as we eat, even as we're fed, even as we feed spiritually by faith on the body and blood of Jesus, we are raised up and we are filled and we are satisfied until that day Christ returns. And so as we come this morning to share the meal, let's come. Let's remember God's promises are trustworthy and they bring true blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the extraordinary events that surround the birth of your son. And we thank you for Mary's journey of faith, her discovery of the trustworthiness and the goodness of your promises. Help us today to be like her, to see the evidence 
and to believe in a way that helps us to stand until Christ returns. And in his name we pray. Amen.